Chapter Four, Part One of the Pathway of the Pioneer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pathway of the Pioneer by Dolph Willard. Chapter Four, Part One. None worship her, but some, I fancy, love her. Cynics to boot. I know the children run, seeing her come, for naught that I discover, save that she brings the summer and the sun. Austin Dobson. Frank Peyton's number was. 312 in his majesty's telegraph extension department lately established in cheapside for the connection of small hamlets hitherto unenlightened by telegraph communication with larger centres she was represented to government if they could have been made aware of her existence by a unit drawing twenty-eight shillings a week after having been in their employ for some ten years and she was pigeonholed for exchange of six months of country service on account of health pending a transfer to the central telegraph office in st martin's le grand frank herself found her life settled in a groove with certain stationary affections and shifting interests like a little river running between narrow banks and seeing at a farther distance towns and landscapes the banks were always the same and depended upon the river for their flowers and green grass and all the beauties of life but the cities and landscapes vanished and varied as the river flowed on going outwards to the sea round about the quadruplex set at a table where she spent on an average eight hours of her day were rows of pallid faces some of which from near association were quite familiar and had personalities attached while others fading away in distance were mere types of the london worker young men and girls with livid skins like plants reared away from sun and fresh air and minds which learned to jog with the morse dot dash dash dot 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 dash dot dash dot all day long the men mostly developed a cockney accent and the girls a questionable taste in blouses it became an unconscious impression in frank's mind for being healthy and sane her vitality rose superior to inherited instinct and she accepted the accents and the blouses as mere details in the scenic background of life as little to be objected to as alma found the whitewashed walls behind the glitter of the house some few of the girls immediately surrounding frank knew and consequently loved her they told her what he had said and so i said etc and they asked her out to tea at other suburbs than the one where she lived and stated a reprimand from the supervisor as a common grievance for the supervisor walks to and fro to and fro all the weary day between the lines of clerks in his majesty's telegraph extension department and checks the girls when they flag or fling a scrap of human conversation to a neighbour when engaged on his majesty's business for which supervision they draw better pay and gain much jealousy and so all girl clerks look forward to being supervisors and hated in their turn and hope for the early death of those who block the way to the position frank was on a small hamlet near a racing centre about nine months before the first meeting of nuzotra recorded here and thoroughly sick of sending through messages in cipher and otherwise all relating to the noble sport 
now and then a bubble of wit from the general public enlightened the monotony as for instance when a medical student telegraphed through to a friend in this unknown spot that he had mastered his exam sorrows ended labour vanquished i have passed but as a rule it was monotonous enough to breed the devil's own mischief frank sat with her hands in her lap at times and waited for the summons to take a message or else she chaffed the girl next to her who was engaged to a man in st martin's le grand and giggled so easily that it was no fun to upset her gravity sometimes when work was slacker she would have two circuits to look after and this she preferred for she was a skilled telegraphist and it irked her to waste her time but on an average the work of the extension had not the tensity of that in the larger telegraph department in particular the met where the girls sit close shoulder to shoulder and are so hard pressed that at times they can hardly read the offices of origin in the confusion of sounds between their neighbours sounder and their own frank had no desire to be one of that overburdened understaffed department but there is a happy medium and the extension was certainly slow once it was so dull that frank always declared that it drove her to a fraca with the head of the department who suddenly and with dignity became aware of her existence and designated her as pert in a marginal note after having to apologize for impugning her veracity on a question of a non-delivery and frank was nicknamed miss pert by the whole laughing division for a week then things settled down again to the old monotony and the grind of dot dash dash dot 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 dash dot dash dot went on as before it is very cold in march at six o'clock in the morning if a woman bred delicately has to rise at that hour light the kitchen fire feed herself and an invalid mother set all in order for the day in the suburban home she is leaving and catch the seven-twenty to the city and her work she will find that her working hours run into some sixteen all told for she has her woman's day to finish when she comes back after her man's day at the office the strain told upon frank peyton and is one explanation of what followed though it did not matter to anybody but frank in its final result and she went on with her life just exactly as if she were the automatic machine expected by government and no human interest had ever threatened to disturb her perfect organization frequent attacks of neuralgia and indigestion began to warn her that woman is merely mortal though to official minds an operator on the quad is as near as may be to an automaton and should only be moved by putting pennies in the slot i e the weekly wage a breakdown is the chief dread in the minds of nous autres and frank driven by her doctor's warnings set her wits to work and arranged for six months exchange with a girl who wanted to see what london work was like frank did not even know her personally and the mutual obligation was contrived by a clerk at the check table where the telegrams are distributed for transmission through the tubes it was an instance of frank's popularity that no sooner did it become known that her health demanded a change to provincial work 
than the news acted like a beacon and offers of assistance and suggestions of how it might be managed poured in on her from a dozen different groups frank was as grateful for the kind-heartedness which she had drawn out without knowing as the sun draws out the scent from the flowers as she was for the assistance she really received and pending her transference in a month's time she endured the irritating succession of ailments to which her weakened body made her a prey feeling at least refreshed in mind she had been fidgeting through a bleak morning after the usual routine of housework and the rush for the train and was thinking of her mother's health and her own and sitting in a despondent bunch in consequence when the bell rang the future did not bear contemplation if frank were to continue sane and sufficiently healthy for eight hours a day work and she welcomed the distraction she was on the a side of the quad which is always the best but it was a tiresome message and the clerk at the other end had to repeat which he did with exasperated side-notes can't you hear have you got that until frank jumped to the conclusion that she was being irritated on purpose and her blood boiled in consequence there is hardly any limit to the fret and annoyance that a wilfully bad operator can give to the victim receiving a message frank was as skilled a telegraphist as any in st martin's le grand and was not inclined to turn her cheek to the smiter to the unknown clerks have you got that she retorted yes and no thanks to you whereupon having passed on an enigmatic message carrying its thousands of pounds of racing debts she became aware that her late adversary was still speaking on the sounder i say are you the girl who has been on this wire all the week frank was just so tired of slack business that she was glad to break the rule and use the telegraph for private conversation glad of any diversion that the supervisor would stop if she heard it is very nearly irresistible for the human machines at either end of the wires to use the connecting link for personal intercourse for which reason no rule is more strict than that the wires shall not be used for anything but the work of the government and the girls are fined according to ordinary telegram rates if they are caught a halfpenny a word considering that the supervisor can read off every letter ticked out by the sounders as she strolls up and down between the tables the risk run is very heavy considering also that human nature is human nature it is one that the girls still run and will continue to run to the end of all time how do you know that i am a girl frank demanded in reply to the question asked her because you are so precious slow no i don't mean that i say stop and talk to me a little you will kindly keep a civil tongue in your head then tapped frank sharply i know it was awfully rude but you made me repeat three times i say what is your name sally said frank promptly what is yours dick thank you good morning it was a temptation to add a a r which means go to the devil and though an accepted code throughout the post office is strictly unofficial i say wait a minute frank was beginning to endow dick with a personality through the medium of i say i wonder if i shall ever see you nothing more likely 
I am arranging an exchange for provincial work. What luck? Do you think you will come here? I don't know. Yes, Miss Smith. I was just asking the operator to go a little more slowly. The messages are mostly in cipher, and I cannot take them. Fortunately, the supervisor had only heard the last three words of the conversation, and passed on, but Frank rang off abruptly. Dick began again in the afternoon, however. Frank hurried off to her lunch about eleven, for the girls were fed in batches from that hour to two-thirty, and the operators who were at work at eight were ready for their meal before noon. No clerk was allowed to leave the building for food, for fear of their circulating information gained over the wires. So the girls came down from the office through the endless passages to the swing glass doors that shut off the refreshment room from the rest of the building. In the busy kitchens, at least, law and order reigned, but the dining room itself was less attractive, and the air of the place resembled a bean feast under unauspicious circumstances. At one end were the tables of the mighty, where the supervisors fed off properly laid cloths garnished with vases of flowers and waited on by real servants in real caps and aprons but between the supervisor and the clerk there was a great gulf exemplified in this case by the mere getting of dinner a female clerk entered by the same door as the supervisors but passed on to the ticket office where she bought a ticket for the dish she chose from a written menu this she presented at the counter from behind which came Frank's query of, What with your stuffed breast, miss? and carried her own plate of meat across to the tables at the further end of the room, which were simply spread with cloths. She found her own table cutlery and glass from a certain drawer and shelf, and carried them to her place, returning to the counter at the pudding course for the next plateful. Thus the clerks waited on themselves, and were examples of official economy. Whether or no it increased their self-respect to be treated somewhat like a board school did not matter. It was a more serious consideration to them, anyhow, that their time limit off work was half an hour, and that the taking tickets and getting attended to reduced the time for actual eating to some twenty minutes after which they must be back and on duty until finally relieved the mail clerks had their own separate room but were no differently served and indeed the bare low-ceiled room in which they dined was even less appetizing being underground their chief advantage came in the better pay for they drew nearly double what the women did though their work was neither more skilled nor of greater quantity than the best operators among the opposite sex. Frank had eaten her lunch without appetite on this particular day, and was back in her place at the southwestern district hamlet table, wondering why Providence had not endowed her with the digestion of the proverbial ostrich, when the bell rang and she prepared to take a message. I say, began the little clicking machine, which was introducing two people to each other at a distance of some few hundred miles, and that is a feat not granted to most chaperones. Oh, is it you? said Frank casually. I'm nearly asleep. I wish you wouldn't disturb my after-dinner nap. You can't be very busy, Sally. We are nodding over the quads up here. 
I suppose they are nearly as slack in country offices, since they have to use up their time talking to perfect strangers to keep in practice. Oh, I say, you do hit hard. Look here, I want to know if you are dark or fair. Nondescript, said Frank. My hair is red, and my eyes are pink-rimmed, and I have a turned-up nose. I'm sure that isn't true. Why? Because no girl would own up if it were. Stress of interest was quickening Dick's wits. Very well, then, it's not true, and you may think of me as you like. Oh, I say, but how am I to know you when we do meet? By the wart on my nose, said Frank, with a chuckle, and then seeing the supervisor bearing down on her, she added, R.D., which means received, and put an end to all communication, legitimate or otherwise. Frank's interests, both inside and outside the office, were so manifold that she forgot Dick exactly five minutes after he ceased to talk to her along the wires. She belonged to two choirs, one secular and one in the church in the immediate neighborhood of her home, where she sang alto and expanded her soul, for her natural taste ran to music. The units which went to make up His Majesty's Telegraph Extension Department had strangely enough preserved sufficient life and individuality to combine into societies and clubs and other associations for the development of body and brain, despite system and routine, which was an outlet unprovided for in the regulations, and occasionally confused the authorities who came in contact with some rumour of such organisations, and hardly knew how to deal with them. There was a philharmonic society belonging exclusively to the whole extension, a book club to several of the divisions, and various funds for mutual aid, to say nothing of subscriptions whenever anyone left, or was married, or fell ill. And Frank was clamoured for as a member to most of them, but regarded her own popularity no more than she did the simple doing of hard duty that made up her daily life. Dick, on this occasion, was speedily put out of her mind by a call from another sounder, for which she was responsible. She knew nothing of the clerk at the end of this particular wire, and went on taking messages monotonously until tea-time, the forefinger of one hand held over the key, ready to give the R.D., or to demand an R.Q., the other hand writing letter by letter as she listened to the message. She had made a poor lunch, and was thankful when four o'clock brought tea, and she could rest from work for a few minutes and talk to the girl next to her. Tea was the only meal with which the clerks were served, and was given free, with such additions as they chose to supply out of their own pockets. It consisted in one thick delf cup, there was no saucer allowed, filled with a weekly beverage and two slices of bread and butter, which had been chopped off by machinery as fast as the kitchen could prepare them, for the four or five hundred men and women for whom it was catering. The cups came around on trays, such as are used at railway stations, and then followed the outside orders of cake or buns or jam. Most of the girls bought penny pots, and spread the thick slices with sticky redness, and the men had stolid bun-stuffs and sometimes even fruit. 
Frank ate her bread and butter plain, her only extravagance being a second cup of tea, and the girl next her, to whom she turned for a minute's conversation, promptly asked her to share some unwholesome-looking cake, and added a request that she would help her in a private concert given in a part of London almost inaccessible to Frank, whose good nature had oft-times to bear the strain of deferred meals and late hours in order to oblige her friends. Oh, my dear, I don't think I can, she protested in some distress. I like to get home to my mother early, you see. Oh, do, Miss Peyton, you sang for Miss Seaton last month, and I hear you simply made the success of the evening. She offered the compliment with a jammy mouth, but it was quite genuine. I wish I had not, then, said poor Frank comically look here if i come down will you put me early in the programme and let me leave before nine-thirty i may be home by midnight that way i will on my word of honour and miss peyton will you play some of the accompaniments oh use me for anything you like when you've got me said frank desperately then with a sigh some people are born to play accompaniments the unusual protest against fate was wrung from her by the weariness of ill health for as a rule she did not repine she had learned the lesson preached by flair caldecott's worshipped author gentleness and cheerfulness these come before all morality they are the perfect duties it was in her tired drawn face as she swung out of the office day after day and trudged along the city working southwards through monotonous stages of omnibus and train and tram the beginning and ending of frank's day for eight months of her year was the fire the morning she mechanically connected with lighting it sometimes with laying it at night she came in from the city to find both her mother and the fire rather low in their vitality as a general rule and proceeded to build them both up the attack with the poker and the judicious expenditure of coals was hardly more efficacious than her cheery well mother dear i'm so glad to get home was to the invalid with the gracious face whom the rest of nuzotra always connected with a sofa a white fluffy shawl and a presence in which one always spoke gently frank's transference to the country though she knew it imperative was a time of anxiety to her both on account of her mother and the fact that she had practically to keep up two establishments mrs peyton had a pittance which was called a pension by the wealthy institution in which her husband had worked and frank had helped to eke it out ever since she left off schoolwork and began her career as a government clerk it is difficult to divide twenty-eight shillings so that it will support two people but much can be done if you live in one room over a stationer's shop in a small country town and deny yourself most things except soap and water nuzotra may not be godly but they are invariably cleanly even though as flair said they hardly have time to wash properly there was nothing in frank's existence to mark her as different to the young ladies who served behind other counters than that sacred to the post-office except perhaps the worn books that lay on her window-sill and covered the one little table where she spread her own meals 
R. L. Stevenson's Christmas Sermon, for which she has already stood as an example, Dickens' Christmas Books, Ruskin's Time and Tide, The Rubiot, and one or two of the best novels of the day that had reached the sixpenny edition. That was all, if one did not count a Bible. I have never met any community so devoted to their Bibles as Nusotra, or so utterly indifferent to their prayer books. Frank did not, personally, draw any distinction between herself and her neighbours, though she did not find that she could make even acquaintances of them as she had of the girls in the London extension. It was a lonely life in consequence, for she was the only one of Nusotra in that immediate neighbourhood, and the girls in the stationer's shop, where the post office had set up their own counter, with Frank behind it, had alien interests. At the end of a long, tiring day, she would hear them say with cross politeness, Excuse me, Miss Jones, dear, as they pushed past each other, and it always made her laugh. The young lady to whom the excuse was addressed did not laugh, and therein lay the barrier between them, for a different sense of humour betrays racial separation, and fixes a great gulf between one class and another. It had slipped Frank's mind when she left London that she was going to the big town of the district in which Dick's small connection was, though she had actually told him of her appointment one day in a fit of desperation when he had been more than usually pressing in his overtures of friendship and had said, I say, to the end of Frank's endurance, I am going to X next week and there will be another girl here to listen to your nonsense, and good riddance to bad rubbish for me, Frank had said, allowing discourtesy the rein in her character of Sally. Dick had taken the information with unusual taciturnity. He had merely said, Oh, which office? There are two, to which Frank had deigned no reply but R.D., and had dismissed Dick from her existence. She had been a week in her new birth with no one to speak to, and only her mother's letters, or her friends, to make her homesick, when one evening a bashful young man walked into the stationer's shop and over to Frank's counter. It was tea-time, and this chance customer was unwelcome, for Frank had hoped to dive into the little parlour behind the shop and, in the language of Nusotra, borrow a cup of tea from her good-natured landlady. She came forward rather wearily and faced the young man, who was smiling sheepishly and seemed uncertain what he wanted. He was rather a tow-haired young man to Frank's inspection, and his provincial clothes made him appear more of a hobbledehoy than he really was. In any guise he did not attract Frank. Stamps, she suggested politely from behind the counter, no, I've just come from counting em, he said, and the uneasy smile widened. We have about seven sheets at little X. I'm in the post office, too. He seemed to think that this conveyed sufficient reason for his presence at an office in the larger town. Frank began to wonder if a certificate of lunacy were all the examination needed to pass into the offices in this part of the world. When he spoke again, Oh, I say, are you Sally? For a minute Frank could not recover the connection of a fortnight ago across the telegraph wires, and wondered what he meant. 
when she remembered she had presence of mind enough left to take advantage of her alias no my name is frank peyton she said with distant politeness perhaps it is one of those young ladies in the shop whom you wanted she glanced in the direction of the busy shop girls behind the legitimate stationery counters but dick had the quality of persistence and though slow his brain was tenacious no that won't do he said and his expression had the sense of a wink i've inquired at all the offices for a young lady who came down from the extension from london and you are the only one i've run you to earth at last i suppose it was only your kid to tell me your name was sally he said simply frank convicted smiled an apology and did not wince at the slang there was no intention of offence in dick nor was he of a very different grade to the men whom frank associated with and avoided in london what he wanted was to follow up an acquaintance which had piqued his curiosity and he found nothing in frank to damp his courage in a vague fashion he felt her a shade more to his liking than the other girls in a like position whom he had met though he could not have put it into words frank was very shabby just then you cannot squeeze clothes as well as two livings out of twenty-eight shillings a week and beyond the fact that she did not overdress her hair or wear strings of beads round a bare neck there was nothing to divide her from the other girls in the shop save her hands next to magda she had the prettiest hands of all nuzotra and a woman's hands are the sign of breeding that lingers longest and carries most conviction perhaps dick did not observe such details but he knew in his honest soul that she differed in some sort to most of his acquaintance and he managed to explain his desire to improve their friendship look here will you come out with me on sunday he said i'll come over and we'll go for a walk or you could meet me a little way out of the town and we'd have tea somewhere and come back to church i always go to church in the evening instead of the morning because it's less crowded now sunday was frank's worst day because she had not even work to fill the long silent hours and there was no one at all to speak to had she faced herself with the problem of walking out with a young man known only to her across the telegraph wires she must have gently declined and stopped the whole thing at once but the boy he was little more was merely well-meaning and wanting in all finer knowledge of life and the trap of church-going snared frank's feet as innocently as dick's own the church has chaperoned more flirtations than any other respectable excuse for drawing men and maidens together and where the religion is genuine the results seem to be even more serious frank did not quite know in what rash moment she agreed to dick's plan but the next sunday saw her desperate young feet walking out from the solitude of the closed streets away into the spring country where fitful april and rustic love awaited her together dick was of the silent order of wooers a bucolic shyness that is content to walk stolidly arm in arm with the object of its affection neither exchanging a word and so his drawbacks were less manifest than if he had had the town assurance to talk when he had got over a little of his diffidence however 
he confided most of his bald history to frank and with her sad knowledge of youths in general she found the record refreshingly harmless he was the son of a small provincial tradesman who had put his son into the post office as equivalent to a clerkship and consequently an advance in gentility dick had done ponderously well at school and had plodded creditably through his exams he really meant to rise in his station in life and to help his parents and like all his class he looked forward to an early marriage as a matter of course long before he could afford to keep a wife for the rest he was an affectionate fellow with rough tow-coloured hair and ill-cut clothes and he sang in the church choir sometimes another fatal by-path to frank's favour chapter four part one